All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 114 this week. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to check them out, ZephyrEpic.com right now. They have some specials going on with some pre-sale for 
Series 1, which is the big one, Quads. All oh, of the rookie cards, the young guns are all in there. I'm very excited for Series 1. Holy cow. So am I. We had a good pack opening today going into it. We, we always did. say like it it gets us pretty fired up uh, when we're doing these pack openings right before the podcast, but this one was a really good one. We had a lot of cool cards. A signed Bo Horvat card came out of it. You got a rookie Di Pietro card looking at it right now. Yeah. Good-looking cards. Di Pietro diving has been a success so far. And the Mirror Mirror Kucherov and McDavid in the same box. Like that that's ridiculous. That's a that's a really good pack right there. Yeah, it's solid. I was really happy with it. So yeah, check them out. We always say it. Zephyr packs are juiced. Promo code Canucks Combo gets you five dollars. Get you off that your five dollars off. Free shipping over fifty bucks. We don't give them enough of a shout out to Zephyr Epic, but they are awesome people. They are. They're good people. Incredible people to yes, deal with. We love them so much. So much and cards. Like who? And cards. Who doesn't like cards? All right, we got a we got a we got a bit of stuff to talk about, Chris. We have a bit of stuff. We have there's some stuff that I want to talk. Normally we only stick to Canucks stuff, right? Like oh, that's no. what we do on this show. Do I get to give my World Series breakdown? No, we're not doing a World Series breakdown. Well, there's some other stuff because I found that we had some interesting conversation. We heard some interesting conversation on radio today about certain things. We'll get into them uh, quite a bit as the episode goes on here. But the first thing, let's just cover the most recent news, I guess, uh, of Guillaume Brisebois being re-signed for the Vancouver Canucks. I think it's a fine signing for them. Um, it's in the similar boat to me as just getting Ashton Sautner. Yeah, it's not a big deal. No, it's all. not. But uh, like this guy is uh, a seven, eight, nine NHL defenseman. Like he's a good AHL defenseman. Breezeball is is a solid guy. I think he's better than Chatfield. Um, I think that he's a guy that uh, plays a quiet game, and I think that having him back at the AHL is good. They had a really good defense core in Utica last year. I mean, you look at Ashton Sautner; he was probably the best, and Levy. then Brogan Rafferty was was definitely the best scorer. Yo, Levy, uh, Chatfield, and then Breezeball. Like, they had a really strong top five guys. Dylan Belugis was excellent when he played. Wow. Mitch Elliott brought offense. Like, they had a really good defense core to go with the good group that they had uh, for the forward group. So it's nice to kind of get these guys back in the fold just so that that team has, like, you know, some sort of maybe chemistry build between them because it's a yeah. it's a great spot for these young players to develop right now. And then if you're kind of bringing back a similar team with similar young players, I just I feel like it's good for them. And I feel like I'm, I'm really glad that they got this deal done, even though it's a simple one. And something people listening to this podcast last week would have heard is us talking about the AHL and, oh, what's going to happen with the AHL? Are these guys have to go overseas. We found out this week, between the time we recorded that episode that the AHL is coming back on February 5th. They are targeting a return to play. We still don't know what it'll look like in terms of that Canadian division that they were talking about, like bringing the Canadian teams uh, down south and letting them play against all the other American teams. So we'll have to wait and see for that. But the Canucks aren't going to be, you know, there was a worry. I was talking to Cam Robinson about this is, you know, spots are filling up in Europe, like it wasn't yeah. going to be easy for Jack Rathbone to find work. If he was cut from the Canucks camp, what's he going to do? Sit on his rear end at home and work out? Like, that's not going to benefit him too much, especially when that's all he's been doing for the past, you know, year. So, man, like, it, it's a, it should be, it's a really big deal that they've came to this deal and that they're going to be able to use their farm team because, man, like, that's not good for Jack Rathbone's development if he's no. just sitting at home. Most definitely. And we're going to talk a little bit of Jack Rathbone later on the episode as well uh, when we talk about your piece that you wrote. Uh, break that down a little bit. And yeah, I think it's a great... I mean, like, there's a lot of these guys in the Vancouver Canucks organization that are in a spot right now where this year is huge for them in the AHL. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, like, I think of Cole Lynn. Like, Cole Lynn is just on the brink of 
being a guy who's ready to be called up to the NHL. Like, he's just on the brink right now for me. I said it last year. He'd be more impactful than Louis Erickson in an NHL lineup right now. And if he's able to, you know, go back to Saskatchewan as he is right now, he's been working hard. Uh, I've heard some stuff from people around Colin. Apparently, he's just an animal in the gym. Like, he's been an absolute monster uh, through the offseason here. He's putting on some weight, uh, playing a lot of golf. So, uh, mm. hopefully, he comes back with a, you know, somewhat of a more confidence. Like, he had the huge confidence jump from his first year to his second year. Um, now, I expect him coming into his third year. Like, he won't be afraid of anyone in no. the AHL anymore. But, yeah, like, I, I know we threw the idea out there last week on the podcast, but, like, Having them just do a Canadian division would be a lot of fun. And even if they travel with the Canucks, wherever the Canucks are, whoever the Canucks are playing, if their minor league teams play each other, like I love that idea so much. I do too. I just, man, somebody somebody tweeted it at us actually um, after the uh, after that episode that we did. They're like, you guys realize there's no way NHL owners are going to be paying for an AHL team to fly around with them, right? And then the AHL teams can't really afford that. So I didn't really think of it that way, but... It's possible. So, I don't know. Like, it uh, it, it doesn't seem realistic to me that they're going to travel around with the NHL team. That just doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. I don't, like, I like the idea of it, and I feel like you could somehow make it happen. But at the same time, maybe they go on a very different thing where all the teams are kind of just in, like, a, not really a bubble, but sort of in, like, the same area. Like, man, you know, like, it would be so funny to see them all go to, like, Saskatchewan. You know, like go somewhere, go to Saskatoon and play there or somewhere in Manitoba. I heard Manitoba had bad COVID numbers today. I think actually. Saskatchewan did actually too. Really? The prairies are all going up. Hitting the prairies, man. What's the second wave? Anyway, yeah. I, speaking of COVID, if you're not, if you're done talking about the sure. comets, we got to talk about this thing with the OHL. Like this is a Canucks podcast. Yeah, but this, this is, is one of the things I was talking about. This, this is not Canucks. Bizarre. Stuff. So it really is my understanding of the situation. You correct me if I'm wrong, is that the provincial government in Ontario has told the Ontario Hockey League that they can only play if there's no contact in the game. So they can play a no contact game. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a plethora of issues immediately um, when, when you even bring that up. We can get into them, but the one that comes off the bat to me is, okay, so who's going to enforce this? What's considered contact? Like, no body checking was was the verbiage used. Okay, so every puck battle, every board battle, you, you know, I would argue that without body contact or whatever, like, like you watch women's hockey, for example. That's what I kind of think about when I, when I see no contact. Because, again, like, that's a rule they have in women's hockey. It still has a lot of contact. Like, There's almost more contact because you can't, like, push someone off of you. Yeah, that's what I think the idea of body checking well, is like pushing and making the effort to push them away from you or hit them, you know, with contact by extending them, like extending your arms, extending your stick, yeah. extending whatever you're using to hit like that's why I think that like board battles are going to be worse without body contact because you're you can't extend that like that's what I get from checking is like extending on contact. So like mm-hmm. you're literally just gonna be bumping up against each other. I find this ridiculous. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see how, like, if they can somehow prove to me the way that this is safer, then I could understand it, but I feel like it, like... Wouldn't the... Wouldn't fishbowl helmets just be safer? It would. In general? That's that's what I would Because And then there's the whole problem with how do you evaluate this talent? These are draft-eligible players playing, so, you know, I... No, this isn't a slight against Elias Pettersson, but if Elias Pettersson played in a no-contact league, he'd put up, like, 200 points in a season, so... If you have one of these guys who comes out, like, 
How do you, and, and they're not even there. You can't even, they're not even scouting in person. They're going to be in video. So yeah. how do you even evaluate that talent? Like, do you, do you grade on a curve when you're watching these guys play? And well, well, this guy scored 90 points, but he only scored 40 points last year when there was checking. So, you know, like, I don't know. It just brings up so many questions and I, I honestly like, I wonder if the OHL just starts to look at either moving somewhere else, like maybe they'll go figure it out and play a tournament in States or something. I don't know what they're going to do, but to me, like it's just, it's, I just can't see it happening with no body checking. I can't see them starting the season. It's, um, it's like, I understand that they want to get a date set and try and like get everything going for it. But I feel like this is something that's going to be very fluid. And the fact that they came out the OHL is, you know, I would say that the OHL, like, I feel like the OHL is bigger than the Q. I don't know if the OHL is bigger than the Dub. The Dub's pretty big. Like, out of CHL leagues, I feel I like so. OHL is probably the second biggest. I think it's the biggest. The biggest? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But I would say Dub might be a little bit more followed because it's so wide just on the west side, right? Mm. But, like, I think that looking at what the OHL is trying to do, it's cool that they're trying to get ahead of it, right? Ahead of certain things. But, it, like, this, to me, this just ain't it. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to no, try to But, like, I feel like if you're bumping up against people that much in a hockey game, like, I've heard the idea that, like, face-offs were going to be taken out, right? Like, that was something a while ago that mm-hmm. we heard. Even before, like, the NHL started, that was, like, mm-hmm. people were talking about face-offs being the thing taken out because you're getting down so close to someone. And, yeah, body checking makes sense to me if it's just, like, you're bumping into the guy with, like, your open face. Okay, but this like, is that hockey. Like, I, I get the whole face-off thing. I get it. But, like, people are going to... You're going to sit next to people on the bench. It's not like... Yeah. Dude, it's just... It's it's not going to work. I'm all for being safe and everything. I just don't see how this makes it that much Hockey's safer. not a great sport for this. No, it's not. It's, it's not. Like, baseball sport. is a great sport for it. Everybody's spread out. You're touching the ball. You use hand sanitizer, whatever. You're spaced out for the most part. Obviously, there's the worry of the umpire, catcher, batter. But for the most part... You're pretty spaced out. And again, like you even saw at the end of the World Series, I told you I'd slip in a World Series thing here. Like Justin Turner gets COVID, uh, gets a positive COVID test during the eighth inning and has to get pulled from the game. So I don't know. Like I I feel like no sport is immune. And like, you know, locally here, the BCHL had two positive cases or what I think one positive case, they they didn't play two games as a result of it. They just stopped those games and told those teams yeah, not to come We saw out. it like this past week in the SHL too. SHL yeah. canceled games again because of a COVID outbreak well, on their teams. it's inevitable. It's like... I think a lot of it is like... And you're seeing it with these bubbles, right? Like bubbles are very successful, even though the, the Turner... Yeah. whatever somehow he got so that, it that's not a bubble, bubble. it wasn't it wasn't a, a, bubble, it wasn't right? a bubble so they had okay. a hub city and like it was very loose they were doing a good families. job though for a long time baseball didn't they only have that was the only one through the playoffs right through the playoffs yes that's Be- really, okay yeah, so before that they were really bad i know that yeah like the whole miami marlins now has covid yeah but no but i mean like they did a good job of doing that's what i'm trying to say like if I think it's more about what these players are doing in their everyday life compared mm-hmm. to what they're doing on the ice i feel like if you have not even like restrictions, but just like sort of guidelines that the guys have to go by mm-hmm. when they're off the ice. I feel like that's a lot safer way of limiting the spread of this virus than body checking is. I feel like they should be looking more at that, not like a bubble. Like don't, you don't need to put these teenagers in a bubble, right? Like that would be tough. And like, I like how the WHL is doing it. These guys in BC are going to play the guys in BC. They each have their own division. You're going to have the American teams playing each other. You're going to have the Prairie teams playing each other. Like, I like the way they're doing that, but I think that just looking at it 
off the ice is the better way to look at it. Have specific guidelines for off the ice more than you have on the ice because you're changing the sport completely, taking out body checking, and I don't see how that's helping that much. Helping the sport. I, I, I got to see the science behind it before I make yep, an opinion. But yeah, we, from what I understand of the virus and its nature, this isn't going to help much. No, it might. You know, I don't know. Maybe it helps a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be. What, uh, the hell, what, what the hell do we know? Nope, so exactly. <laughs> let's wait and see. But I think this is going to be a fluid situation and it's one that we're going to have to follow going forward. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, let's get into the article that you just wrote. Thank you. Um, we'll get into that now. This we'll is hit- like a this is like a vintage Canucks convo. You just ask me about articles I've written. When I guessed it on the show, you'd be like, "Oh, so you just wrote this," and then I'd tell you about my article. True. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll see what's up. So you wrote about three <laughs> potential breakout players for the Vancouver Canucks. Why don't we uh, let's have a little discussion on these three? Okay. So the first one, the first one I want to talk about, and I know you'll probably want to sit out this one for the most part, but you have some good stuff to say, I'm sure. Thatcher Demko. This is a guy who I really think could be, and you know, to, to preface a little more, you know, the thinking of this article was guys who could be under the radar uh, breakout candidates. Okay. And if they're put in the right situation, and and then I kind of, you know, you should read it for sure on CanucksArmy.com, but I kind of looked at what would the correct scenario, what would the best situation for these guys to succeed be? So for Demko... I said that the Canucks need to play defense, which is what they didn't last year. They need to guard west or east-west movement. They need to keep pucks to the perimeter. And, you know, these sounds like sound like a bunch of cliches, but these are things, folks, that the Canucks straight up did not do in front of Jacob Markstrom. Thatcher Demko comes in against Vegas. They start doing it. In that article, there's a few heat maps there that show you how they defend in front of Markstrom compared to Demko. They're going to need to do that longer than a three-game stretch if they want to have any chance of success. Uh, they could be a very successful hockey team with Thatcher Demko and net. But similar to Thatcher Demko, Braden Holtby also needs help on the East-West movement. Like, he doesn't play well against it. And Jacob Markstrom was the best in the league at it. Yeah. So it's important that you play defense in front of these guys. You're going to have to do You're gonna have to have a much better job than they did last year. I think Nate Schmidt helps them with that. I think, uh, you know... Tyler Myers being healthy is definitely going to be a massive boost to that. And just the team defense, the way they guarded that home plate area in that series against Vegas. Like you go back and look, keeping the pucks to the perimeter. That's what you have to do in front of Demko for him to succeed. And we saw it. We saw it. The proof's in the pudding there. There was three games, three games. That's not a fluke. Like it's sustainable. If there's one thing we've learned about Ian Clark and his goaltenders, it's that what Ian Clark does with them is sustainable. I think the thing that, shocked me in the playoffs was watching how athletic Demko was able to be in that compared to what he was like all season. It just felt like he, he was looser. Like he was more loose uh, in the playoffs. It felt like you watched him in Utica more than I did, but in Utica, he was like that. Like his positioning Mm. wasn't great. So that was probably why it was part of it. But man, that guy, he can do the splits like no problem, like nobody's business. And I saw him doing it at Boston college and yeah, you're right. He just looked way more comfortable. He looked a lot more like the goalie we'd seen in the AHL and the, and in the NCAA. And I think he kind of came away from that at the end of the year when he was playing in March there, uh, you know, in talking to him, he he said that it was the most pressure he's ever felt in his life. And yeah, like Ian Clark was straight up with him and just said, listen, this is a situation with some added pressure. You're either going to come out better for it or you're going to crumble. It's going to be up to you. Uh, Demko struggled for sure. It was, you know, like I said, it was the most pressure he's ever felt, but he grew from it. Right. And then, you know, I think you can cross that off the list. He told me that was the most pressure he's felt in May. That's what he told me. So 
I think if you ask them now, I'm pretty sure playing in the playoffs yeah, on the brink so. of elimination is the most pressure he's Let's felt. say that there's a 60-game NHL season next year. Mm-hmm. How many games does Thatcher Demko start? 40 if he plays well. But 40 it, of the 60? Yeah, it's up to him, right? Maybe maybe 50. It's 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 up to him. He's got to... Dude, here's the thing. Like, So the Canucks sent a clear message to Demko. They, they, there was an option to send two messages to Demko. If they re-sign Jacob Markstrom, that message to the Demko camp is, we don't really believe in you. We're not going to be keeping you around for much longer because everybody knows what's coming up with Seattle. Demko likely would have asked for a trade. And you can't blame him. Yeah, He's been told he's the goalie of the future. Now it's his time. That's the message. Is the future now, though? That's the question. No, but it, it's up to him if it is, right? Like, is the future now with Elias Pettersson? Were we saying that at the start of his year? No, but then at the end of the year, damn right we were. And same with Quinn Hughes. Like, who knew these guys were going to be so good? And they are. So it's going to be up to Demko. And when I say that, like, I'm saying there's a very good safety net behind Demko, right? Like, if if Braden Holtby has to, has to play in a backup role, like, that's not a bad thing. Holtby signed knowing that's a very real possibility. He knows that it's going to be friendly competition. Like, if I'm being honest, like, the Canucks goaltending situation for if you're going to lose Jacob Markstrom, I think what they have now is... Again, if you're going to lose Jacob Markstrom, obviously keeping Markstrom is the best case scenario. If you're going to lose Markstrom, I think the Canucks have the best scenario that they could have had out of this. Yeah, I think so too. I think that bringing in Holby was a really good spot for them. And I think that even from what I've heard recently from, I think, uh, I forget his name now, Ryan something who just became the beat writer for the crack. And he was just on the van cast and he was, they asked him like, who would the Seattle crack and look at right now? from the Vancouver Canucks, and he said, Brayton, I'll hold you without a doubt. Yeah. So, you know, if that's what the situation is going to be like, it even works out better for a guy like Mikey DiPietro, who's going to have another full year of being a starter in the AHL and then comes in in the 21-22 season as a backup. So, I mean, like at that point, yeah, you're banking a lot on Thatcher Demko this year, and I I think you need to see him play at least 60% of the games. Yeah. Like, I know that you you can say that you want to see him play 40 out of 60, like that, that's, that's high for me. Like, I think he's got to play three out of five games. Yeah. I think if, if you have five games in a week specifically, like we're going to probably see a pretty jam packed yeah, schedule. That's true right? too. Yeah. So I feel like three, three games in one week would be nice for him. Three games in seven days. Then you do Holtby in there. Cause they're probably going to have like five games a week, right? Like they're going to have to try and bang the season you think out. So? Well, close probably four or five every week. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say nine games every 14 days ish. Yeah. I can so, see that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. And yeah, I think he needs to play that many games this year because yeah, it's they've banked a lot on him now. You know, like yeah. we still don't know if Thatcher Demko's a proven starter, unfortunately. Yeah, Having exactly. Braden Holby here is perfect for the backup. I, I personally, my personal belief is he is. I think if you look at that Vegas series, I truly believe that's not a one off. That's my opinion. I know some people might disagree. I think Demko's gonna be an elite starter. Uh, especially if he keeps working with Ian Clark, man. Yeah, he's in a he's in the perfect spot to become one right now after the recent move with Markstrom heading to the Flames as well. Uh, we'll get into the other two on the other side, but we'll take a quick break here, uh, give a quick shout-out from our sponsors. We're going to hear from Mike's Hard Lemonade and our friends at Zephyr Epic. We'll see you guys on the other side, and we'll talk about the other two players that Dave wrote about in the article. And before we go any further, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast, Zephyr Epic, Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. We open a lot of hockey cards from them, and you can too. You can use promo code CanucksConvo for $5 off your order. They ship free anywhere in Canada 
on orders over $50. So take advantage of that. Again, that is promo code CanucksConvo at ZephyrEpic.com. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms, on Twitter, Instagram, and join them on Twitch every Thursday for weekly case break giveaways. Chris and I have a lot of fun doing these. You guys should check them out as well. We've been having a lot of luck. We opened a lot of Quinn Hughes cards, and now we're doing the DiPietro diving. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram opening hockey cards at random times. It's really hard to find out when we're going to do it because we don't really know when we're going to do it. But be on the lookout for that and make sure you go buy yourself some hockey cards, whatever cards you need from Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic on all platforms. New Mike's Hard Blue Freeze hits you with the nostalgia of a blue freezy with bold blue raspberry flavor and a refreshingly crisp finish. Mike's Hard Lemonade is a Canadian original made with natural flavors. Chris, this is one of the very few alcohols that I actually enjoy. And man, you got to be careful with these things because they go down like candy. They do. They are probably easier to take down than a freezy because those freezies, they kind of hurt your throat sometimes, you yep. know, the blue freezies. These ones don't. These are just absolutely delicious, perfect summertime drink. And I'm wondering what they're going to be like in the winter, to be 100% honest. I mean, I had one two days ago. It was kind of cold. It was raining. It was just fine. That's good. Even when you're feeling a little blue, you could go for a blue freeze. Absolutely. And yeah, if you guys haven't tried it yet, go get yourself some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. And thank you very much to our two sponsors. There's Zephyr Epic and Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. Be sure to check out those Blue Freeze. All right, we talked about Demko in the start. You got your goalie talk out. Now let's talk players quads. First one was Adam got dead, I believe, right? Yes. So that was the first player I mentioned in the article. And now the scenario that I've set out, that's the best situation for Adam Godet to truly have a breakout year and really give the Canucks a lot of value on that contract. Now, on the other side of that coin, if he goes out and has a huge year, going to have to pay him next summer. And yeah, he's going to be added to the crop that already features Thatcher Demko, Elias Pedersen, and Quinn Hughes. So when we talk about a cap crunch not letting a team improve, you kind of look at that and say, okay, that might be a little bit tough. Because remember, like Louis Erickson's still going to be on the books. Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, like these guys are still on the books next summer, right? So it, it's going to be tough again next summer for them. But again, like let's talk about Gaudet himself. The situation I've determined that would be the absolute best for him is, first of all, getting time on that first power play unit. He would be exceptional there. Like he, and I'm thinking in Tyler Toffoli's spot because Gaudet really is a fantastic player on the power play. And he's got a lot of good offensive instincts, especially when he's given time with the puck. When he has time to like lean into a shot, he's really good. He's never been able to play with players that skilled either. Yeah. On his power play unit, right? He was yeah. at Northeastern. He tore it up there. He's on the second unit. He tears it up there. But I think he should be on the left half wall. Isn't that where Toffoli was? No, Toffoli was like behind the net. Okay, sorry. Not okay, that's was. what I thought. Sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, put him on the left half yes, wall. That's yes, where he rips yes, his shot yes. all the time. Sorry, sorry. Then Miller down low, Horvat in front of the net, bumper yeah. position. Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. Wasn't that how they did it with Toffoli on the side? No, they did wow. Miller there on the left side. It's been a while since I've watched Canucks hockey. I, I miss Canucks hockey, man. Can we just get back to, like, we're not that far away from training camp. I we're can't not. wait I'm for I'm pretty it. excited for training Anyways, camp. Anyways, Adam got at, what is it, 33 points last year? Yep. So, like, what, what was the situation output, that puts getting, him better than that? Well, getting he was getting fourth line minutes, right? So, mm. you know, the situation is putting him on the first line. And I know we've talked a lot about Damn. Jake Vertanen on that line. Dude, Adam Godet's got a lot of offensive instincts. And if the Canucks are worried about... Gaudet as a third line center, and that's holding them back. Like they they couldn't play that line in the playoffs. We've talked about it so many times on this show. Like his his defensive game needs to improve before he can be a true third line center. So, do you let him grow those abilities playing wing on the first line? I don't know how much playing wing helps your defensive abilities as a center. 
down the line. So maybe that'll hurt his development a little bit. But I don't know. Like, do you just try and convert him into a star winger? Like, maybe he's just going to be one of those guys who doesn't really get it on the defensive end as a center. Yeah, he switched to number 96. So he's kind of going down that road already right now with uh, being a star winger. I, I Yeah, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like, Jake Vertanen, his skill set, the things that he does good, the things that he's good at and excels at are his speed and is able to get past guys and drive to the net when he actually has the drive to go to the net. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the thing that I like about Adam Gaudet is he can score in so many different ways and he attacks the net so hard, mm-hmm. right? Like he really attacks the net hard. Like he, he goes to the net, he goes to the dirty areas. He's not afraid to score that way, which I think would work out great with Miller yeah, and Patterson. Exactly. The other thing that I just saw from the series against Vegas is that Adam Gaudet's going to give you a hundred percent effort on every shift. Yeah. You know, he's going to go out there. He's going to forecheck, even though he might not be in the perfect spot every time he's going to give you full effort. And I think if he does move to a winger spot, he'll be a little bit more effective because all he's got to do is worry really about the point man at that point at five exactly. on five. So I like I like the idea of got out there. I think he might be a you know if you were to put Jake Vertanen on that line for eighty two games, or you put Adam Gaudet on that line for eighty two games, like I'm not a hundred percent confident that Gaudet would get more points. Like, I am. I would still probably lean in Jake's direction to be honest. I think that Jake would put up more goals and points in that spot, but. Gaudet would really bring a lot of effort that you're going to get consistently that you're not getting with Jake Vertanen. Mm. Yeah, and that's I think that's partly why I say that Gaudet would probably get more points by the end of it. I don't know. Like, we saw the Patterson line play with Jake. It just, I don't know. Like, I'd really like to see Gaudet get a shot with them. And yeah. uh, The problem is, like, when when Jake's on with those two guys, yeah. it's a really good line. Like, but they, it's not consistent. They dominate Corsi in some games when they're together. They control the puck in the offensive zone so much. But you're right. It's not consistent. But it's not like Adam Gaudet's Mr. Consistency either, yeah, that's right? True. You know, yeah. so that's kind of tough to see as well. Like you see offensive games where at five on five, he just doesn't put up a lot of points at all. Mm-hmm. So he'll go a long stretches of games right now at five on five. I'm all for Gaudet going on that first line. Something to see, maybe something that you see, you know, when Jake's struggling a little bit because the other option, like it's crazy that we've we've had discussions over the past couple of weeks about these lines and we haven't really talked much about Brock Besser because I think that we're yeah. both kind of agreeing that the only way the top six stays like a top NHL top six is if Brock Besser goes down and has success with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. Yeah. Because there's no other player. Louis. Now that Levo's gone, like there's no chance. Like I don't see anybody else on this roster that no. can play on that second line and be able to to click with Horvat and Pearson. It's literally just Louis or Roussel. Yeah. I I just wrote about this. It's going to come out on Saturday. But Tyler Mott was the other name that I thought would put Ooh. in there because I just thought that there's you're getting a lot of the similar things that you're getting from Louis Erickson, but you're getting more scoring with Tyler Mott. I mean, like Tyler Mott can score. He's fast. He scores a decent amount on the penalty kill when they're down a man. I'd like to see him, you know, defending with even strength. I don't know if I want to put him into the top six right off the bat. It's yeah, like, you know, that sounds like a broadcast uh, <laughs> line combination maybe. <laughs> but like, I just think that, you know, the options, if you're going to use Louis there because of what he's going to make that line defensively, Tyler Mott makes a lot of sense too, but he brings more offense, right? So I, I don't hate that idea. Uh, I wrote about it in an article that's going to drop on Saturday. And yeah, like I think that that's the problem. Like we we would love to see Brock Besser play on the top line and have the lotto the line lotto be something line, yeah. for a long time. But the fact is the, the top six as a whole just is so much worse if Brock Besser is not on that second line and you're and you're still banking that they have to have success. Like you're banking on Horvat and and Besser having chemistry still and still being able to score goals, which is something you just you just haven't really seen a lot from that line, but it's almost like you have to bank on that unless like 
you want to kind of just abandon having a scoring top six, right? Like the Canucks had a great top six uh, in this most recent playoff run. That was their biggest strength of the team. You know, it was their power play and their top six ability to score goals. And that's the thing. Like this Canucks team is a lot worse in their top six with the loss of Tyler Toffoli because he just brought so much versatility. You know, even guys like Josh Levo walking away, like the Canucks top six that we thought was going to be dominant for the next few years. Unfortunately, unless Jake has success or Godet has success and Horvat has success with Besser, it's just unfortunately not going to go that way. And it's important to note Horvat and Besser were good together in their first year. And you know who else was on that line? Sven Berchi, baby. And that's the other guy I wrote about. I wrote two articles today. And Sven Berchi was the other name I brought up. Like, you know, when we talk about this team and, you know, you just said it, you're like, there's not a lot of forwards that can fit in the top six. Is Sven Berchi a name that makes sense? Uh, maybe from the outside looking. I just, I don't see Sven I, Berchi. Yeah, I, me neither, man. I don't see Travis Green playing him. No, I don't think Travis Green will play Sven Berchi. Um, I think that even the way that Jim talked about it, um, in his meeting with the media, like he was just like, we're going to see if it's all up to Sven or something. He said, like, it's up to yeah. him to get the spot. I think that they've soured on him. I don't think there's going to be any, any call-ups unless there's a lot of injuries or if they're running like a black aces setup. Like, I think that when we saw him not report to the bubble, that was the end to me. Hmm. Just cause like, I get what he was saying. Like it was for his family. I just feel like it was also quite the little escape route for him to not show up there. Because I do think that there's a lot more at play here than people know about Sven Berchi and yeah, the Canucks organization. I suppose. I suppose you're right. But, you know, the guy's got a kid, right? Like, his kid's so young. And, you know, if he's probably not going to play and the organization kind of screwed him over a bit this year. Like, I know he wasn't happy about the situation. You know, why would he risk his, you know, risk his long-term health potentially by going into a place where he's not certain he might catch, he might catch COVID? So, like... Why yeah. would he do it in a more dangerous situation in the fall or in the winter? I mean, yeah, I guess like that's they had true. a strict bubble policy. Well, you know, the only know. thing that does was like he a report to the AHL. Like, if he makes the NHL team, I could see it. But does he even report to the AHL this winter? Yeah, I don't know. I think like it's like you can do the last ditch effort to try and get traded somewhere, but yeah, Canucks aren't willing to retain. People are wondering oh. what's holding. Why doesn't anybody want Sven Berchi? Nobody wants that contract. His no, contract exactly. that was signed literally last summer is a bad contract already. Yeah. I think that he'll be um Two I think he'll ago. be leaving. I think he'll be leaving North America after training camp if he even shows up at training camp. He's going to show up to training camp. I think that There's he'll no be There's no way he doesn't summer. show up to training camp. He might. Camp. Yeah, like he he probably will, but it also wouldn't shock me to see Sven Berchi go overseas somewhere. Do the Canucks get cap benefits from loaning him somewhere i'm not 100 i don't sure. think they do i don't think so either if you loan someone, so there's absolutely no way that's have to happening. cut each other like neutral agreement or whatever it's called oh, to terminate the contract yeah like that's not gonna happen no exactly so i think that that he might just end up getting loaned somewhere and i'm not sure exactly how well i don't think they're works. gonna loan him if they can't get any like if sven berchi doesn't play on the cox they're gonna send him down to get the one million dollars in cap right. cap space right like and then he leaves. I don't know. I don't think this that we'll is crazy. See. This is going to be a situ- another situation to follow everybody. Ben so. Barish is going to be really interesting if we even like, because we can't go into the locker room and talk to whoever we want. We're going to have to talk to whoever. There's no way out. they send a mode on. There's Zoom. no chance they send no out Barish to talk to us. Unfortunately, we can request them every single day. We won't get them. Let's get them on the podcast. Ben yeah. Barish tells all. Yeah, that'll be quite the episode. <laughs> Still waiting. You know what? I've been, I've been working my phones. 
Trying to get the Nikolai Goldobin tell-all episode for this podcast. That would be incredible. And Nikita Triamkin. Uh, yeah, the Triamkin one is going to be Me and Triamkin speaking Italian to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. We have a big interview this weekend, actually. We're not going to talk about it too much. No, we're not. We're not going to throw you Hopefully ball. it can uh, happen and be on next week's show. That'll be exciting. But uh, let's talk about the third player then, since uh, that went a bare cheat direction. The third player in your article that you wrote about, Jack Rathbone. Yes. Yes, Jack Rathbone. What's what a, uh, what's what a, a surprise guy. season look like for you then? What would be the first the number all, to be like, wow, I can't believe that season just happened at the end of the year? Yeah, so first of all, he's got to make the team out of camp, right? Like, that's that's step one for Rathbone. And the reason I put him as an under-the-radar potential breakout candidate is because, you know, a lot of people are comparing this guy's play style, not himself. Like, they're not saying, oh, he's going to be Quinn Hughes. He's going to have a Quinn Hughes-like impact. They're saying he plays a lot like Quinn Hughes in the sense of likes to wheel the puck up the ice, could be something that fits with the Canucks. I, I, I find it really interesting because there's about, you know, we've determined that there's one spot available, right, on that third pairing. And whoever gets it is going to play alongside Jordy Ben. It's either me, Ollie Levy, Brogan Rafferty, Jack Rathbone. And people kind of know, like, the Canucks have a decent idea of what they're getting in Rafferty and Yolevi. Like, it's going to be up to these guys to have good camps. The organization's already seen enough of them. Jack Rathbone basically is a clean slate. He's like a wild card coming yeah, into really this is. camp. Like Travis Green has not seen much of Jack Rathbone. I'm sure of it. So when he comes in, Green's going to be looking to see like, okay, is this going to be like a diamond in the rough type player at training camp that really deserves to be on the team? Because you look at Quinn Hughes, like uh, there was maybe three people in the market that were like, oh, maybe he should go to the AHL. Maybe three, like maybe. And three people in all of Vancouver, forget the market. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was apparent right away that he was going to play. So Jack Rathbone's not going to come in and have that impact. But if he has a good enough camp, can Jack Rathbone make the team on a third pairing, jump over Yolevi and Rafferty? Because to me, this is Yolevi and Rafferty's spot to lose. And I think it's yep. between those two. And then it's a wild card in Rathbone. So I don't know. Like, I'm excited to get, get to see Rathbone play at training camp. Like, I'm very excited to report on this and see just how good he actually is. Um... Because, yeah, like, there's there's some people, you know, like Thomas Drance is really high on this guy and his abilities, right? So, I don't know. I, I find it really interesting. It's going to be another one to follow, and training camp's going to be fun. There's a lot the of The only thing that's, uh, that's tough for Rathbone is he's got to not only be the best of those three, but he has to be good enough for you to say, okay, that means Nate Schmidt now has to kill penalties. Ooh, Because yes. if it's, like, he needs to be that much better than Yo Levy because Yo Levy's a good option to kill penalties, and if you have Yo Levy and Ben as your third pairing... Then you have Edler Myers as your first penalty kill, and then you have Yolevi Ben as your second group. Then you give Nate Schmidt that break. You give Quinn Hughes that break. So, like, Jack Rathbone needs to be good enough and that much better than only Yolevi because Yolevi's going to bring something in the penalty kill that Rathbone just won't, right? So, like, that's that's how good he has to be in this camp. My hot take is that Nate Schmidt's going to kill penalties for the Canucks, even if Yolevi's healthy. I don't think Yolevi's not going to kill penalties out of the gate. I don't see Travis Green doing it. I would. You think so? No, oh, I know yeah. you would, but with yeah. Travis. Do you think Travis I think, would? Over yeah, I Schmidt? think Travis would too because Travis knows that Yolevi's been killing penalties in the AHL for two years. Yeah, they've talked you about know, it. Every yeah. single game that Yolevi's played in, he's killed penalties. Like, he didn't take a year to develop into being a penalty killer. He got to Utica. He started killing penalties right when he got there. This past season, he was the first guy over the boards every time. Mm. Like, this is the Utica Comets' best penalty killer. 
in mm-hmm. Olia Levy. Like, he's ready for the NHL to be a penalty killer. If I don't know if his body's ready, because, like, uh, he's still very injury-prone. He blocks a ton of shots, man. He does. He blocked the most shots per game in Utica last year. So, like, he he's going to be a tough one. Like, that's the only way that... Like, Rathbone needs to really stand out. Rathbone needs to be so damn good at yeah, camp. Yeah, he does. You know who's in a sp- like almost the exact same spot for me is Niels Huglander. Like, Niels Huglander yes. and Jack Rathbone can both make this team. Like, they can both make the team. On opening night, you could see Rathbone and Huglander in a Canucks jersey. Yeah. But they both need to have unbelievable camps. I would bet more on Huglander being able to do it just mm. because I've, like, all the prospects that I've talked to that were at the, the prospects camp with Huglander said he was unreal. Just I know the way that he player. practices. He's a training camp type player, right? He's a guy who looks amazing in practice. And like when they're not having, you know, when you have space on the ice and he's able to be creative and do his thing, like he's going to be like, everyone's going to be like, wow, where the hell is this kid learning these tricks? And where is he, you know, and like, is he going to be able to do the NHL level? So I would lean a little bit more that Huglander has a better chance of making the team. And that's still low. Like, I think that Rathbone has such an uphill battle for him to just make the team this year that it's because Quinn, he's never going to kill penalties. He shouldn't ever have yeah, to kill penalties, yeah. you know, and Nate Schmidt, like he could kill penalties. He was fourth in Vegas last yep, year yep. at regular in the regular season for minutes killed, but he was still under a hundred minutes. Like for the full season, he was under a hundred minutes. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a lot of penalty kill time. He was switched out for a lot of guys that were coming in there as well. Like they had a bevy of guys around like 50, 60 minutes penalty kill. So he really didn't kill a lot of penalties, but I mean like he can. Right. And I think that's why Jordy Ben is kind of, like, we've talked about it. Like Jordy Ben has to be on that spot. You can't do your levy and yeah. Rathbone. Yeah. Exactly. Or you can't do your levy Rafferty and Rafferty that. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, like, you, yeah. you can't have both because they don't kill penalties. And to, to get that to another degree, like Rathbone's not going to kill penalties at the NHL. Yeah. Neither is Rafferty. Yeah. Rafferty didn't kill many penalties at all in Utica. Like he rarely killed penalties in Utica. Yeah. So, but then like, like I look at it so strange that like penalty killing in the NHL as a defenseman, I feel like a lot of defensemen can do that. It's just, who do you want to be out there doing it? Cause defensemen, their whole, their whole like job is made up of defending and moving the puck out of your defense. Like, I feel like anybody can kill penalties. If you're a defenseman, it's just up to the coach of, if you want to use that guy to kill and penalties, you don't want Quinn Hughes eating. Pucks. You don't exactly. Like, but like that's the but like, same reason like, to sit on the other side. Like I don't like, I don't, I don't sound this mean, but like I would rather Brogan Rafferty be blocking shots and like eating pucks, you know, like, that's, That's what fair. he's going to have to do to be an NHL player. So why not let Brogan Rafferty kill penalties? It's not like he's a zoo in his own zone. You're putting Tyler Myers back there on your first penalty kill yet. He's a zoo in his own zone at times. So like, I don't think it's a bad idea to just, even if like, I, I find that so strange how some defensemen kill penalties and some don't, because I feel like a defenseman, unless you're like a Quinn Hughes mold, like exactly like a Quinn Hughes type of player, like every defenseman should be able to kill penalties to me. Yeah. I mean, Quinn Hughes could kill penalties. That's the thing. Like, he could do it. Oh, no yeah. Be, yeah. Like, he, even, even that's Patterson. what I'm saying. Every defenseman yeah. in the NHL, if you're in the NHL, you should be able to kill penalties as a defenseman. Yeah. That, I suppose you're right. Like, but unless you're how killing good, the car, how unless good you're are Quinn you at Hughes. killing penalties, right? Like, it's it, so, it varies, right? It, it does. Varies. But, like, how bad can you really be I guess. at standing on one side of the net and defending well, passing lanes? What about Tyler Myers? Well, that's the problem. <laughs> Tyler Myers is going to be on the first unit killing penalties next yeah. year. Yeah, I guess. You know, unless they put Jordy Ben up there. Oh, that's, that might be worse. Maybe. That's wow. the thing. Like, if you're going to use these guys, like, like to look at the way that an NHL defenseman has all these type of skills, and you're going to say that Alex Edler and Chris Tanev were some of the better penalty killers, like, 
I don't know. To me, like Tyler Myers had a lower goals against for 60 on the penalty kill. But like, does that really mean that he's a better penalty killer? It's so hard to try. Like you need to, this is where like the analytics of looking at people and how much you get scored on is so hard. Cause like, unless you have the stat of how they match up against first power play units and second power play units, obviously the first power play unit guys are going to get scored on more. So obviously Edler and Tan have got scored on the most because they're out there against first units every single time. But it's so hard. This is, this is the type of thing where analytics can only help you so much to me. This is where eye test is like the thing that you have to go for is how good is a guy at killing penalties? Look at how he actually kills penalties. Look at how he blocks shots. Look at how he breaks up passing lanes. And Yolevi does a great job of all that. That's why I think Yolevi is so far ahead of Rathbone, even just coming into camp. Even if Rathbone's the better player, just the fact that there's already trust in Yolevi. And that was the question that I asked. I'm like, have you talked to the coaches about playing NHL minutes as a penalty killer? And he says, the coaches know, like the coaches have seen me play. They, they saw the improvement. So I think that coming into camp, I don't think, I don't, to round this back to what you said earlier, like to me in my eyes and Travis Green's eyes, he's playing only a levy way ahead of Nate Schmidt on the penalty kill. Hmm. Interesting. And Oli Levy's going to be the top four too. Remember last week? Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> Man, I got to refine that article. I was working on it, but then I went in a different direction, did the Bear Tree article and then this one as well. Man, it's going to be an interesting season, like from top to bottom, like right from training camp. camp. Yeah, right from training camp. It's going to be insane. Well, there's so much like we're going to talk about it probably like every week going into it. But like these three defensemen, the fact that Jordy Ben could play both sides. And to me, he's going to be the guy who makes it for sure. You know, I think like he's like they just to me, they can't play two young guys on their third pairing. Not Travis Green coaching you for sure. So I think that Ben makes the team and the fact that he can play both sides. And then you have three guys in such different situations, like Ole Alevi, the high draft pick, who's been a, like been injured in the first two years of playing yeah. professional hockey. Then you have Brogan Rafty, who literally was a rookie, undrafted, comes from the NCAA, has an incredible rookie season. And then you have Jack Rathbone, who just has not had any professional hockey experience, but he's you know he's gotten so much better every single year that like it's such a cool storyline for training camp to watch what these three defensemen are going to do. And if one falls back at all, like the next two are right there, ready to pounce. Like they have to be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm still riding with, with Jordy Ben and Brogan Rafferty on opening night though. I think Rafferty makes it. I still think it's you'll have your uh, Rathbone, but you, you know what? That's a good point that it's going to be a righty and lefty because Travis is already going to be forced to play two left hand like a, a second pairing or a yeah. first pairing of well can two you lefties? imagine him having five left shot defensemen? yeah i can't so you yeah you might have a point it's tough there. that's yeah. why i like i like i think rafferty's got the upper hand it's his spot to lose going into this after what he did in the nhl being the right shot guy being the oldest of the group i think it's his spot to lose but a lot of people want to see Olevi succeed in that spot I think the coaching staff is at the top of that list. I think the management's at the top of the list. Yeah, actually, you know, yeah, like the Jim higher. Benning wants that more than anything for yeah. him to succeed and actually be an NHL player. That's all he's wanted ever since he drafted him. So sounds like he wants that with Jalen Chatfield too. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm <laughs> glad that we haven't heard Chatfield's name in a bit. Chatfield's the worst option. Oh my gosh! Remember when NHL those Canucks option. fans were on Twitter being like, "Well, Chatfield can play in the top four. Chatfield's can- uh, Chatfield's just Chris Tanev, but younger. No, he's not." <laughs> Block oh the least gosh. amount of shots out of all these defensemen. So How is that funny. similar? I'm I'm glad that once they acquired Schmidt, people had, could stop giving those insane takes. Chatfield in the top four. Chatfield in the top four. It's going to oh, be fine, man. guys. Like, no, nobody thought that was going to be fine. The Canucks no. management did think that was fine. You don't have to lay your put out your neck for these. Ugh. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Prospects report, then let's wrap this thing up. Yes. Don't have very much to report this week. Nils Huglander, first goal. I think we talked about that on the last podcast. What team does he play for? Greg 
There you go. I, I just said that. Um, and then Vasily Podkolzin made his way back up to the KHL. Played 40 minutes. Coach didn't play him. Did I talk about this on the last episode? Yeah, you did. Okay, well, anyways, that game <laughs> sucked. He's back in the KHL. I believe he's going to stay up with the team for a little bit here, but he does go to a tournament next weekend. So that would be fun to kind of talk about that. He's going to have games like every day or like three out of four days. So that's going to be fun watching him play with U20 players. Oh, man. I tell you, folks, follow along on Twitter right now. It's a good time to be following at Chris Favor 39 because the <laughs> gifts that are going to be coming next weekend from Vasily Podkolz and playing in a U20 tournament, I tell you, get ready, get on board at Chris Favor 39. And check out CanucksArmy.com too. Although most of them, well, some of them will be there too. Not as much as you'll see on at Chris Favor 39 on Twitter. Shameless. That's for sure. Shameless. <laughs> You'll, there'll be article wrap-ups, probably from each day. There better be. Well, I got a yeah, I got a quota hit here now at Canucks Army. <laughs> yeah, I got to hit as, you. As you'll three. see on Saturday with three, <laughs> three 500-word articles banged out. Oh, my gosh. You'll see that. Uh, it's like in school. They're like, yeah, don't leave this till the last minute. And then it's like the night before. You just like do the final three assignments of the semester. Yeah, I did that. Like our final project was like a nine-minute podcast. I did it like the day before it was due. <laughs> That's so funny. And that was like what we're supposed to be working on all year long. It's like it's a nine-minute podcast. <laughs> What'd you get hard. on that, by the way? I had to cut it down. Oh, wow. Freaking Rob Williams. Oh, stop man. talking. Guy talks so much. Guy is just... CKNW's finest. Writing about non-sports and stuff. What a <laughs> what a crazy guy. Can't wait to open Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, oh, uh, that's yeah, Let's okay. Wrap we'll it wrap up. it up there. Uh, big shout out to our presenting sponsor, Zephyr Epic. Um, like I said, Series 1, man. About to drop here pretty soon if you guys want to get involved in the card game. Series 1 is the one to do it. Upper Deck, Series 1, it's the standard. You got Young Guns cards in there. So check that out. Um, for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you for tuning into another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Hello, thank you for calling Thomas Dran. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.